0: The Deal with Yield is a podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. Tune in to episodes on iTunes and TheDealWithYield.com. Welcome to The Deal with Yield with our host, Kyle Reiner, Winfield United Master Agronomy Advisor Joining us in the studio today is Sarah Smelzer, regional agronomist for Winfield United based in Missouri, to share advice for optimal cotton production in 2018. Sarah, what steps can cotton farmers take to preserve their soil and help prevent erosion during the winter?
1: Sure, so when you're into some of the sandier soils, a lot of times we deal with a lot of wind erosion throughout the winter. So you see a couple of different types of practices. I mean, sometimes you'll see a cover crop of wheat and rye that's drilled in oftentimes occurs in the panhandle of texas now if you're in the mississippi delta or the upper portion of the south then you'll see guys come in and put wheat in just in the middles and they'll come in and mow their cotton stalks and then plant wheat behind it and that'll help with the wind erosion throughout the winter and into early spring
2: you guys don't get the luxury of what we do of of multiple sub 20 below winters <laughs> up here yeah, to no. control some of your weeds down there so no. your, your uh your growing season's a lot different than what what we necessarily have up here so um coming out of our so-called winter your guys is well as the snowbirds call it vacation <laughs> um what are you guys doing to size up your material or kill off your cover crops or your weeds that might have snuck through
1: well, so there's really two different methods. So you're going to have a chemical control method or maybe a mechanical control method. So for the guys where their group 14s and 15s are still working for them, they'll come in and do a burn down with glyphosate and maybe with dicamba and then follow up with a group 14 or 15 as their pre. For the guys that's starting to see more PPO resistance, they're relying a lot more on spring tillage to get all of that organic matter from a the weeds from the winter annuals underneath the ground and really starting out with a fresh start so they can get their planter in.
2: So similar to what we expect in our crops up here with the corn and soybeans or wheat we do a lot of fertilizer prior to the plant emerging or growing. Is it similar to stuff like down there in in cotton country where you or do you try to target that in fall before deer hunting starts or duck hunting starts down there?
1: Um, So you'll have some that'll put out their P and K in the fall so if They got their soil samples that year. That can run in the south. That'll run from sampling from October into almost February. And so those guys will be doing their... Fertility in the spring, but for the ones that maybe it's an off year on their sampling, then they'll put their P and K out in the fall, and then of course their nitrogen in the spring. Because a lot of times you can run into scenarios where the fields will be under water. Um, you know, we, y'all get tons of snow, and, and we get a lot of rain, so it's really good for duck hunting, but it's not so good for your nutrients that can leach, like nitrogen.
2: Sarah, when we talk about building beds, you know, when I go to bed at night, I, I kind of make my bed and I make it in the morning. You guys talk about making beds or, or hilling up some ground down there. Uh, help us understand why you guys do that. And uh, when you're doing that process of hilling this up or making the beds, do you, you bring up the nutrients up on top? Or how, how does this work for yeah, planning?
1: Yeah, so a lot of the fertility is going to be broadcast. And then we come in with... Machinery that'll what we call hip up the bed. Sometimes you'll also have a deep plowing mechanism on the machine as well and so then it's called a ripper hipper and so you come in and hip up those beds and, and that gets the nutrients on top um, a lot closer to where your seed's going to be rather than spread out across your entire field. So it gets it a little more directed in your placement than if you didn't put the beds. Uh, the other reason for the beds is also for from an irrigation standpoint. So when you get into the Delta region and, and places in South Texas as well, so that ground is graded and so it has a slope, and in some places it's as gentle of a slope as an inch per mile. And so, when you're dealing with such flat alluvial plains like that, or like in the coastal areas, you can use what's called poly pipe for irrigation. And so, we'll put up the beds that way. It creates furrows for the water to move down during the summer.
2: And for our, our listeners up here in, in the north, what size roll, whist, or, or cotton?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so a lot of times, you know, this kind of gets a wow when I I also work in Illinois. And, and when I'm in Illinois and I tell them that, the guys in the south are on 38s. They gasp a little bit, but then when I tell them, yeah, but the guys in the panhandle of Texas are on 40s, it's, it sounds even crazier, especially when you get into areas where they're you know, planting corn on 15s or 20s. So We're on 38s, and the reason behind 38s is because that's about the width of the hips of a mule. And so that happened from tradition, and it's really stuck with that, and the equipment is made for 38s.
2: Evolution at its
1: finest. (laughs) That's right.
2: Planting populations, where are we at? Are we we doing variable rate? we plant the standard rate out across there? What are we doing for cotton?
1: So you do see some variable rate out there. Your populations are going to be pretty steady between 40 and 50. So there's not a major swing in your plant population like there can be like in soybeans. So there's some tweaks here and there where guys are really trying to push the mark they're going to be using variable rate
2: tissue sampling tissue samples big in our sugar beet potato markets is as big down in, in cotton as it is up here
1: so we're starting to really see some trends come through from our tissue sampling. it it is big it starts um right around pinhead square so that's typically like the Did you call me <laughs> a pinhead for everyone that uh can't see kyle
2: i've been called a lot worse <laughs>
1: Yeah, so pinhead square is, I mean, there's just this tiny little square that you can, I mean, it is the size of a pin and really you can easily miss it if you're not looking for it. So that's when we're going to really start tissue sampling through early bloom and then into late bloom. But some of the trends that we end up seeing is that calcium is really important, boron is really important, late season potassium continues to be important and we can't seem to reach where it starts to level off on the potassium i mean we're just giving it more and more and it, it cotton absolutely loves it
2: let's talk about split application nitrogen we do a lot of that up here in in yeah. corn i um, looking to get really drive from the great demand peak is is that something similar to what you guys do down in mm-hmm. cotton country
1: so there's definitely the opportunity for that. I mean, I think a lot of the nitrogen's going to go out front when you're thinking nitrogen on cotton, it's the demand is different than what it is in corn. You know, in corn we can push it 300 300- plus in areas and uh really varies across the country i guess but in cotton you're looking closer to that like 100 to 110 pounds for the year so you know i would get enough up front and then you could absolutely come in and split it the thing about cotton is you're going to be going across it there's years where you will go across it every five to ten days depending on what your insect pressure is so that's an opportunity to definitely get in there and split your nitrogen application and give it to it when it needs it
2: so you just hit it on the head here. we got to be out there scouting, right? We're pulling tissue yeah. samples, and we're also looking for insect pressure in, in different species, right? So what are we looking for in the cotton growth?
1: Well, you know, <laughs> cotton's pretty sweet, so most—
2: I didn't think it tasted like
1: that. <laughs> well, it has a really sweet smell to it. And when, especially when it starts to flower and you start putting on bowls, you can if you pull a bowl off and then smell your fingers, um, it's a pretty good smell. It's a real sweet smell. So the, the bugs like that, so you see a lot of plant bugs. Um, that's one of our bigger concerns. and then you also you may be starting to slip on your worm protection or your army worms. and thrips are another issue that we see in cotton. and then if it gets hot and dry, we start to see spider mites show up. so, it's more of the question of, like, what is cotton not willing to host than what it is. So
2: it would be the perfect spot if you're in an entomology class in college <laughs> to go out and find some new bugs and go home to a cotton field.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: So we, we briefly talked about tissue sample. Can you better help me understand timing? Timing of when should we be pulling petioles?
1: So I'm going to be pulling at Pinhead Square and then Early Bloom. I told
2: you not to call me that.
1: <laughs> My bad. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So um, pinhead square and then our early bloom stage are really when we're going to hit it. Pinhead square is when you're determining what, how many bowls are, you're going to have on your plant. So that's a really important time in the plant's life cycle, as well as with early bloom. I mean, that moves into that retention piece. So you've got those squares on there. Now you're going to have some blooms, and we want to keep those flowers so that those flowers will eventually move into bowls, and we can really produce our pounds there or our bales.
2: So you said the demand peak for potassium is really, really big, especially late season, similar to like it would be in corn. How are you guys getting the demand peak or the, the hunger fed into cotton?
1: So a lot of it's foliar applied. So for the late season piece of it, I mean, we have a lot of dry... That goes out early, but then for that late season piece, we're using things like Gainer with K, which is a water injectable fertilizer, but can also just be dissolved into a sprayer and then sprayed foliarly. So that's an 8050 product and the biggest limitation that you run into is you reach saturation and you can't get enough dissolved in there. So we can get right around ten pounds of product in there if we're trying hard enough, you know, but it all also depends on the weather and the temperature of the water when you're mixing. So I mean if you want to be safe, move into that seven to eight pound range, but if not, then you can get up into the ten pound, especially if you're in areas like South Texas or South Georgia where your water is sitting in the ninety five, hundred degree heat all day every day so
2: so once we've gone through the the growing season and then uh, we get the bowls and they're starting to open up and what kind of timing to to make an application of a defoliant
1: well so defoliants it all depends on the temperature okay but
2: It's always warm down there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, so cotton's, it'll stop growing. It's a little, it's a higher temperature than what corner beans would be. So it it stops around 60 to 62 degrees. You're going to stop seeing any kind of growth there. And you want this to be actively growing when you're putting the defoliant on. So, really, it can range from like 60 to 70% bowl open. So, when those bowls are open at the bottom of the plant and you've still got the top, because a lot of times the defoliants out there, especially like there's one from Winfield United called Bold or Boldy, some people call it, and it's got the ethyphon or the ethylene product in it that's going to help ripen the plant and open up those top bowls, but then it also usually has a piece that is going to, that reaction is going to cause the abscissic acid to increase in the plant, and you're going to have leaves drop off from the product creating an abscission layer with the leaves. So, the thing about defoliation, though, is you really got to be careful. You don't want to defoliate too early, because then you're going to have to come back, and I mean, that application is close to 25 bucks an acre, so since cotton is an indeterminate plant if you defoliate too early you can get new growth that's when you start to run into the issue of the plant getting away from you before you can get into harvest so you don't want to defoliate more or put more defoliant out than what you can harvest in a couple days span so that defoliant after it's put out you've got somewhere between 10 to 14 days before you're going to get in with a picker and get it picked
2: so you kind of got to be on top of the world here with with the weather predictions if you got a couple uh, we got hit with a couple hurricanes down south this year and and for those guys that were really on top of that did did they go out there with a product like that to get it taken care of before the hurricanes hit
1: absolutely yeah there's you got to you're gonna have to go out with a defoliant uh, because one of the biggest things is if you have leaf matter out there you know it'll turn your cotton green so you get docked for your color or if you don't get good enough coverage good enough deposition from your product then you end up with too much trash and that also takes a hit on your premium at the end of the year as well so on your cotton
0: where should farmers go for more information on cotton variety selection and management practices so i would definitely talk
1: to their trusted advisor at their local retail location and they can also check out
0: cropland.com and click on the cotton section You've been listening to The Deal with Yield with Kyle Weiner, Winfield United Master Agronomy Advisor. And joining us in the studio today is agronomist Sarah Smelzer. For additional episodes of The Deal with Yield, visit iTunes and thedealwithyield.com.